Hello and welcome to the World of Intelligence, an open source intelligence podcast brought to you by the Jane's Intelligence Unit. For more information on how we can help with OSINT training and development, go to janes.com forward slash OSINT training. So, Micah, thanks for joining us. Just for everyone who's listening to this, I just wanted to give a quick introduction to you. So, Micah Hoffman, you are one of the key members of the OSINT Curious Project. You also deliver OSINT training for SANS. And I think in and amongst all of that, you're probably one of the leading OSINT practitioners globally, I would say. And what I love about some of the stuff that you put out there in particular is not just that you're doing all of this and uh, doing it for small audiences, but you're actually sharing and being part of that OSINT community, which is getting across some important stuff for, uh, for different people who, are, who might be interested in OSINT, no matter what sort of sectors, et cetera, they're working in. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on the show. No problem. So I wanted to just sort of start off by talking about how you first got into open source intelligence and, and where you started off and, and what sort of dragged you into it, if that's, uh, if that's the right way of describing it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's actually been an interesting trip. I'm, I uh, mentioned this on, I think, the Ocean Curious podcast that uh, this is like my fourth or fifth career in my life. I actually have a degree uh, in psychology back in the 19-somethings. I got a degree in psychology and then through some twists and turns, I ended up in computers, uh, fixing computers, setting up computers and servers, and then I started hacking them professionally and breaking into them and doing really more core cyber things like penetration testing, uh, incident response, incident handling. And and I found that I really loved that aspect of the world, you know, how I could break into systems and find things I shouldn't be able to find. And then one of the pieces of our process was always to do online reconnaissance of our targets before we attack them. And I remember this one assessment I did where we were trying to break into a web application that was on the internet. And our process said, we have to Google the application name and then see what comes back. And so I Googled the application's name and there was this PDF help document on some other site of the people that actually coded it. And I decided to just read the manual. And, and sure enough, like on page one, it said, hey, if you're trying to get into this application, try a username like this and a password like that. So I essentially took that information, which I just Googled and logged right into the application without even hacking it. And I thought, man, this stuff is really powerful, this reconnaissance. <laughs> but I, I didn't even know that there was an open source intelligence. I, I had, since I came up through cyber, you know, we called it recon or, or reconnaissance. We didn't call it OSINT. And then later on, after, you know, really looking for things, I found OSINT and I just fell in love with it. So, so how, did, how did you first come across it as a term in, in, in that sense then? Oh, that's an excellent question, Terry. I I do not recall when I first, you know, was turned on to the word OSINT, but I do recall it, it being probably in one of those tweets that somebody sent out that was like re, hashtag recon, hashtag OSINT, or um, I'd actually been doing a lot uh, with recon NG, the, mm -hmm. uh, the command line tool, and I wonder if I saw the term in there somewhere. Because one of the things that you know I love discussing with people who are working in this field is the differences in approach, but also the differences in definition. You know, what yeah. is open source intelligence to you versus what is it to somebody else? And I don't know if you, you listened to the, the last episode, I was talking to Elliot Higgins from Bellingcat, and they talked about how they apply open source intelligence techniques to online journalistic investigation, essentially. And with the kind of audience that we have at Jane, so the kind of organizations that we work with being primarily defense and government, there's a very traditional, well, sometimes a very traditional viewpoint on OSIN, and it's one of the disciplines. And mm -hmm. it's kind of seen as being separate from things like imagery intelligence or you know other types of intelligence they might pursue. But I would say in terms of the modern kind of OSIN, when people come to it from other fields or other directions, there's less of that kind of distinction. And, and what, I, what I find really interesting is looking at what others are doing uh, outside of the sort of defense and government world. And, uh, you know, you've probably, I guess, you know, I'm guessing, you know, in all of the training and all of the advice you've given and the, the kind of stuff, the work you've done as well, you've probably come across open source intelligence in lots of different flavors. Have you seen those kinds of distinctions or those kinds of differences playing out and, you know, different interpretations of OSINT? Absolutely, Terry. You, you hit it right on the head there. What I get is from a lot of my students, I get a different perspective and, and much like what you and other people that interact with different groups of people that are trying to achieve OSINT goals, I, I get their perspectives on it. And we'll have somebody come into OSINT uh, or into the classroom that 
has a financial services background and they're looking for people that are on the dark web that have caches of credit card numbers. And they're looking to find where they came from, what the numbers are so that they can deactivate them. Or, you know, we get the typical law enforcement and military and intelligence people in the class as well who have, you know, the more traditional, like you said, the SIGINT, IMINT, um, uh, SOCMINT, all those types of intelligence uh, requirements and understanding. But then we also get people in the class from the movie industry, the gaming industry, industry like mm. you know and i was like i i pulled some of these people aside at, at some time and said why are you in the class what are you looking to get out of this i mean not in a bad way but but you know what what is it that you're looking for and, and many of them and they said everything from we're looking for pirated version of our software looking mm. for leaked documents and so as i teach more and more my understanding of what the world considers as osint grows and grows and grows and i love that it's interesting what you mentioned the dark web there, and you know I'm still seeing a lot of people talking about these distinctions between the web and or the, or the surface web, the deep web, the dark web. What's your view on it? I mean, are, are those distinctions still valid? Because I'm in two minds. You know, I'm in two minds about whether those are still useful distinctions or not. Yeah, it's useful for debunking purposes when when you have somebody that's a, a new OSINT analyst or somebody that just hasn't ever been in the dark web or in the deep web they don't call it the deep web they just call it something else um, those people it's helpful to for them to understand what everybody's defining deep dark and surface web as and and what i teach in my class is how the definition of what's dark web and deep web changes and shifts sometimes daily. I mean, we see resources that are on the surface web, like, you know, Michael Bazell's Intel techniques uh, yeah, tools that he had. They went to the deep web because he put an mm. authentication page in front of it. Mm -hmm. They didn't go anywhere special. It's just you can't access them. And then, am, I, am I right in thinking that if, if you're not part of the club, you, you can't get in now? Um, you know, I'm, I try to stay out of the politics, but I believe that's, that's, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think for him, it's probably a practical measure, right? I mean, he, yeah, oh, there's yeah. so many people who he can probably help at the same time. Yeah. And they're, they're vetted people too. They're his customers. So I get yeah. that. Yeah. But for the dark web, I did a talk for a group in Boston last year and my talk started out with the debunking the myth of the dark web, how, yeah, there are these kind of nasty places of the dark web, but with tour the way it is and with other uh, dark web systems where they are, you know, the, the distinctions between I'm going in the dark web and I'm going on the surface web is very blurred because, you know, from you can get to the surface web from tour and you can get to tour from the surface web. It's interesting. So it's less useful, I think, as distinctions, but um, we definitely try to clarify that to our uh, students. Yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of people who come to our training courses, and they're, they're kind of like, "Can you give us a separate training course on the on the dark web?" <laughs> and I kind of say, "Well, you know, I could, I could probably show you it in about twenty minutes, but because um, it's not like you said, there is that element of debunking or demystifying it. Um, but then the rules of engagement for different different organisations vary, and some people are allowed to do it, some people aren't allowed to look in that because." For whatever reason, it's been determined from a legal perspective, perhaps that you know they're not safe going into that part of the web. I think one of the things that that a lot of organizations are more concerned about than their staff seeing pictures or videos of things that they shouldn't is more that by being on those networks, sometimes their systems will help facilitate the illicit transfer of goods or services across the dark web. You know, by becoming a peer nodes, a peer node on these networks, many times traffic is flowing through your system and you have no idea what it is, but it could be illegal things. Mm, that is true. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things for a lot of people getting into the this area who are new to it, who have to really bear in mind is the, the sort of legal restrictions that are in place. And it does vary by jurisdiction as well. So, you know, always be careful, I think, in whatever jurisdiction you're operating in uh, would be good general advice for anyone. Um, and then what kind of areas of the web you're operating in as well. Um, and within that sort of that theme of, of general advice to people getting into OSINT or working in OSINT, it would be great to get you to describe really the OSINT Curious project and, and what you guys are doing, because the, you, you've been putting out some great stuff both on Twitter, um, but also through your, um, your webcasts and everything else that you're putting out. And so maybe just a description for people in our audience who aren't familiar with it or haven't come across it before would be would be great. 
Sure. Uh, happy to talk about it. I, I love the OSINT Curious Project. It is uh, So it's a nonprofit that we created over here in the United States. It is at the website osintcurio.us or osintcurious.com. And on the website, we are, well, actually the project's goal is to take some high quality OSINT people that like to write, like to share, like to talk and help amplify their voices to share that OSINT information with everybody and anybody for free. And so we have people on there like Dutch Osink Guy, like Kirby Plessis, um, Technizette. Uh, we just had some people on there like Chris Kubeka. And uh, we have a whole bunch of, of really high quality people that are sharing their information. So I look at it as a facilitator to, to share information. And what we do is we work together as a group instead of individuals. So when we're just getting ready to release a, a couple of blog posts and that one person has started, other people have contributed to. And so it's a really good, well-rounded product. And we do that with our podcasts too. Every two weeks we do our own podcast and we do a podcast webcast so that you can see our faces and and you as a, a general person out there on, in the world can actually be in our live studio audience since we do them via Zoom, um, which is neat. I love bringing the community into our talks, into our blogs and other things as well. It's a great resource for those of us working in this area, but it's it's fascinating as well to hear from you guys about some of the practical experience and th- you know maybe some of the things you've worked on, um, because you hit on a really interesting point there, which is that working as a group. And I think with the way that open source intelligence has developed in the last few years, and is particularly a direction that I I, I sort of see it going in, is that you need to have that collective with the different maybe expertise and specialisms that you can bring together to share ideas about different tasks and different ways of approaching problems. So I, I, I really enjoy, you know, your podcasts and, and the webcasts and, and seeing how you guys do that. And in terms of everyone being high quality, it's it, it, you can certainly see that and hear that in, in the kind of things you're putting out. And you've just said there are the other members of the group. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, OK, that's my that's my guest list for, for <laughs> my next few <laughs> podcast episodes right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, because, you know, everyone does come from slightly different backgrounds, right? And, and you bring sort of different skills and, and experience to to the mix. Yeah, that is absolutely a, a, an extremely important point that I've learned over the years doing cybersecurity and OSINT is that the more diversity that you have in backgrounds, in talent, in skill, in passion, um, and in just uh, gender and, and race and, and all of that, the more diversity you have, the more powerful your group can be uh, doing cybersecurity things. I can remember uh, thinking about an attack vector and how do we break into this one system or website? And then I would talk to one of my colleagues and they would say, well, why don't, why don't you do this? And I thought, why didn't I think of that? That seems so elegant. And so taking others' advice, others' opinions and, and uh, cherishing their, their input is, is really, really important to me and to the project. So uh, that helps us move forward and make better products. Excellent. And um, do you find also that everyone within that group or the collective or the, you know, the general community, I suppose, um, getting their inputs helps you get across what has become this sort of ever sprawling nature of open source information, you know, that we're looking at so many different platforms or types of information or you know, um, it's it's a lot of it being unstructured, a lot of it being in maybe different languages or coming out of different countries, people in different countries and regions using the same platforms, but differently. You know, how, how, do, how do you see that helping in terms of that collective? Oh, it's incredibly important. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the, the well, as I mentioned, the, the diversity of people and their experiences and their work uh, helps to to broaden all of our perspectives. So, you know, when you have somebody like Dutch Osink Guy or Technizet who have been in law enforcement or Ritu Gill, who's also been in government, you know, they pr- approach OSINT in, in, with certain targets, certain subjects in mind, whereas other people like Sector 035, who's an amazing person at geolocation and chronolocation, uh, he he has def- 
different skills. And and when he and Dutch Osenka and Technizet and myself and Kirby Plessis and and when we all get together and I bring cybery things or or command line tools and they bring some other things, um, there's there's almost nothing that we can't do. So uh, I think having that well-rounded team that that supports the differences that others bring to the table and leverages those is is one of the most important things to becoming successful. It's like it's like the Avengers of Ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. Oh, I'm yeah. so going to steal that from you, Terry. Oh, take it. That's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And do you think that with some of the government organizations or clients you've worked with or others in the in the collective may have worked with in the past, that there's there's an, a natural issue there in that, you know, if you're a US government agency or a Canadian government agency or a British government agency, you naturally have to rely on employing nationals of your own country. And it's it's harder to get that those different perspectives when you're looking at an information space which is so international, is so diverse and complex. Uh, I don't know. Is that something you find coming up in the whether it's in the training or the general questions you get from some of the organizations you work with? Yes. Virtually on day one, people raise their hand and say, so I have these documents that I don't speak or I don't read that language. How do I translate that or how do I understand what the meaning is? And um, that that can be extremely important to, to organizations. Yeah. That I mean, translation is. Yeah. <laughs> I've got no, yeah. Why did we about exactly yeah, that, that. Yeah. it's really really hard sometimes too I, I have had i i love listening to the students that come into my class and hearing their stories and their challenges again it makes me a a better person and i had one person that was in class and she was working with a government agency doing translation and she said uh, she's a native language speaker of a, a certain part of the world and the government organization that she worked for got a translated version from a translator, a linguist, um, of a document that they had found out there in a certain area of the world. And, and she looked at it and said, well, while the words are translated correctly, the intent and meaning behind those words is totally lost because the classical translator missed the the underlying meaning of, of what some of these words and phrases go together. So, um, but unfortunately, a lot of us don't have access to to linguists and natural to people that are born, you know, from those countries or speak those those languages that we want to research. So we do have to rely on computers and translating apps and things. Yeah, I know for sure. I know that's one of the questions that crops up regularly, uh, I would say, in the training I deliver certainly is how do we get on top of content in other languages if we don't speak those languages? And I think in terms of, you know, if people are relying on free translation tools, there's a limitation there in, in terms of what they can achieve, you know, without going out to translation services or getting the right linguists involved. And and as you've described there, I think sometimes with linguists, there's also a generation gap. You know, when we talk about open source information, particularly online information, you know, we're dealing with multiple generations and people using information differently across those generations. And, you know, it, it could be something as simple as slang, you know, slang changes and adapts. And if, if people are unfamiliar with how, and I say, well, I say particularly on social media, and I think if people are unfamiliar with that, it can be difficult for them to, to perhaps translate some of that content. Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up an excellent point that I, I hadn't really thought about before is that the platforms that the young people are using are different than the ones that the one than the ones that are more entrenched. All. And in fact, some of the older generations that we're finding may not even use the social media to go ahead and get their messages across. They might have other people get their messages out. But understanding what they're saying and, and what it means uh, is incredibly, incredibly important. Mm. And um, in terms of the Ocean Curious project, so where do you see it going next? I mean, what's the what are the plans? Are you is it carry on doing what you're doing, or is there are there any other sort of plans for things coming up? Well, we just went through our first growth. This is uh, we celebrated one year back in December, and we are 
we grew. We added five new people onto the project as advisory board members, and we are churning out some amazing uh, information now. As far as growth, um, <laughs> unfortunately, we are one of the victims of the coronavirus outbreak uh, uh, in that our next step was to generate a little bit more revenue for our organization by uh, doing uh, an in-person training. We are scheduled to still give a training in June at the Layer 8 conference in Rhode Island the OSINT and Social Engineering Conference, if that conference still happens. Um, but mm-hmm. we were going to you know, do some of these one-off trainings to bring our low-cost or no-cost training to, to the people that, that are really hungry for it. But I think right now we're going to be sticking to things on the internet and virtually. Mm. Okay. And would that training be aimed more at people who are beginners in the field or people who are more advanced, more experienced? This one specifically is aimed at the beginner. However, I don't know if you experience this too, but when people say, you know, what is the the beginning OSINT class look like, whether it's one that OSINT Curious is teaching or or somebody else, I always am hesitant to answer because I know that there's certain skills that are core skills to OSINT and and I can teach those, but but sometimes the depth that we go into any one of those skills, like a good example is Facebook. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, wh- what is an OSINT 101 class or a beginner class look like in Facebook? Are, are you mm. decoding the base 64 URLs? Are you messing with the JSON? Is it, wh- what does that look like? So we've built this as a, a basic class or an entry level mm-hmm. class that anybody can use, but it's definitely not an easy class. Interesting. So people have to have some sort of technical uh, experience or expertise and, you know, not uh, to be at least familiar with, with, you know, using IT to a certain extent, I guess. I think you're right. Yeah. You have to yeah. have that core competency of, okay, I can get around on a system and, and do things. But but that's what we usually start with is, is you know, how do we how do we navigate? And I don't know if in, in the training classes you've conducted or been in, um, a lot of the ones that I've seen, people will use a virtual machine for that. And mm-hmm getting people that have never been in Linux into a Linux system to do their virtual machine work is sometimes a culture shock in and of itself. Um, So lots of things to learn. But there's a couple of things, you know, that you, you sort of touched on there. One is that when people and organize, you know, some of the organizations that, that we've talked to in the past, when they want, say, training on open source intelligence, they sometimes view it through the same prism as all of the other training that they develop and deliver to their staff. And they want it to be progressive. So they may want a program of training that goes from basic to intermediate to advanced. Um, but it's it's really hard, I think, with open source intelligence as a field to divide it up like that and I, you know i agree uh, yeah I, th- I think in some ways you almost want to have a okay here are the ocean fundamentals and then now let's do a specialized session on this one particular area or this one particular area so rather than a progression i guess something more like a, a sort of small network of, of courses that people can then select from you know which ones may be more relevant to them yeah, I agree. And and actually on the OSINT Curious website, we've actually got what are called 10-minute tips, which are a series of videos that are essentially a video library that show all these different tips and tricks for doing OSINT, for learning OSINT skills in 10 minutes or less. And each one's a 10-minute or less YouTube video. Uh, some of them go to 12 minutes, but um, there are free videos that are out there to create that library where people can create their own custom learning environment. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of the challenges I think you know in in this field is that the the learning, the learning is more dynamic in some ways because you know how do you find with those videos? I mean, how often do you have to update them? Yeah, it uh, sometimes pretty often. Sometimes the the it, it sometimes the techniques are are the techniques. You know, using the EXIF tool on the command line to extract metadata from a file is is pretty standard. It's been kind of the same way for years and years but yeah our, I did a 10-minute uh, tip on on uh, doing things with TikTok and I don't know if TikTok saw the video but <laughs> within uh, a little while probably a couple of months of it posting it people are starting to comment hey this doesn't work anymore it's like, oh yeah well yep we have to update it you're absolutely right 
Yeah, something similar happened to some of my colleagues at Jane's once. We, I think we wrote a piece um, of uh, intelligence on a, a military subject, let's just say, that relied on, and actually it was published, it was published in one of our magazines, um, that relied on some information from a webcam that was uh, an open webcam. And um, uh, yeah, a couple of months later, I think it was, that webcam went offline. So yeah, I don't know whether they do kind of monitor these things and, and change and adapt based on, on the stuff we put out there. But um, do you find actually in some instances that you've, you've, you've got to sort of take that into consideration when you're publishing kind of tutorials or things like that openly that you don't want to, you don't want to, the techniques that you're um, helping people learn to be used for nefarious purposes, let's say. Well, it's not only nefarious purposes, but it's also we don't want them shut down. Uh, right. You, yeah. you know, it, by publishing something or a tip or something that that shows uh, sometimes a weakness or a flaw in a website or a lack of security in an area, and then the website finding out about it. A good example was uh, Start Me Pages. You know, Technizet.com. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're fantastic. And, so yeah. fantastic dashboards. Yeah, they're great. Well. Yeah. When one of the things that I found was that when you uh, load a Start Me page, there's a JSON or JavaScript object notation file that gets loaded in your browser that has all of the links. And some of the other content that you can find in there used to be the email address of the person that created the account and that owns that Start Me page. And oh, I posted this out on a tip. I'm like, hey, did you know that you can do this, this, and this and get the email address? Somebody tagged the Start Me people. They're like, oh, that shouldn't be that way. And they killed it right then and there. And part of me is like, no, but part of me is also kind of happy that, you know, the world's yeah. a little bit more secure um, yeah. and, and safe. True. And I mean, for those who aren't familiar, who might be listening, the, you know, the Start dot me uh platform essentially allows people to create dashboards of links or bookmarks um which you know and uh, which can be really useful collated resources um particularly on open source intelligence there's quite a number of them um i suspect looking at one or two of them that some people have created new ones that have just copied previous people's ones so <laughs> I, i'm sure there are people out there who've, who've created dashboards on on that platform who might be feeling like they've been ripped off but but there's but it's it's a great resource and it's there's some really good ones that are, you, you mentioned Technizet, um, and there's multiple others that, that give uh, really useful collections of links that um, are fantastic. When, you, when you're searching for an idea, I think, of how to approach a problem, you're not sure what resource to use, um, you can dip into some of those and see what resources might be available. Yeah. And I take it that's something you use, use some of those regularly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, as yeah. as you know, uh, I'm over here in the United States, and when OSINT investigations go outside of, well, my comfort zone, my understanding, uh, whether it's uh, it travels into the, the world of dating and sex, or it goes into cryptocurrency, or it goes into um, radicalization and, terror and terrorism, um, I know that there's, you know, Emmanuel Welch's blog, uh, Start Me page out there for the dating and sex. I know that there's Laurent Bodo's out there for the radicalization and terrorism stuff. And and Bruno Mortier's OSINTframework.de, Start Me page, that, that allows me to... It, explore and understand what else is out there instead of just Googling for dating sites in Korea or whatever. Um, so yeah. it, it really helps to categorize that and yeah. to launch my investigations. And let's face it, that kind of Google search is going to really change, your, <laughs> change the adverts you get for the next few days. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, okay. That's, that's some great stuff. I, I was always going to ask you about the, um, some of the training. I know we've sort of touched already on, on some of the training work you've been involved in. Um, but a lot of that is with SANS. Um, you had the big SANS conference earlier this year. How did that go? Oh, it went fabulously. This was before the, before the, the virus had taken, uh, its toll on, on our in-person classes. And, uh, we had, uh, over 130 people, uh, come to Virginia and uh, listen to some amazing speakers from all over the world come and talk about OSINT for a day. And it was inexpensive. It was a great networking environment. And I heard, I heard the best things from students, from the speakers, and from everybody. So um, next year, we're, you know, virus willing. We're going to yeah. go ahead and is that a saying now? I think it should. Be. I think it's going to be. Yeah, if yeah. it isn't already. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so virus willing, we're, we're moving to a two day conference. Uh, it'll be hundred percent OSINT. It'll be over here in Maryland in the United States. And, uh, we're very excited about it. Uh, you know, conditional on uh, the world events, but, uh, we're really excited about, about all of the things that it's going to do. Cause we'll get bigger. We'll get, a um, um, more content in there. And really, I, I mean, Terry, I love the fact that many more conferences are starting to recognize the power of OSINT and accepting yeah, OSINT there, there, there seems to be many more events that are specific to OSINT that keep popping up, I, th I think, at the moment. Yeah. And I, are you finding that as well? Yeah, definitely. It's it's hard to get, I would have loved to have come over for the Sands conference, actually. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to be there, but time time is difficult to, to manage in, in the best of, uh, of circumstances. But um, with all the different events that are coming up, actually, it's, it's hard to make time for all of them. Actually, you know, now, I think more so than than maybe a few years ago um so yeah that you know from the the sans conference perspective are you um uh are you aiming at a particular audience or are you you know is it anybody who's interested in ocean because i know from sans background and perspective that it's more kind of cybersecurity focused but uh is that is that still the core audience or are you or are you sort of looking for a broader audience than that that's very astute observation there, there, Terry. Um, what I've tried to do is is create. Um, well, I, I grew up with the uh, with the cybersecurity community, um, where we would support each other. We would share things, whether it was exploits or or defense or or just ideas. We would share them publicly with whomever wanted to contribute and. A lot of the steps that I've been working on in the past couple of years have been to create that type of community within OSINT, within the OSINT world, where uh, whether it's the OSINT Summit, uh, the the conference we were just talking about, where we're sharing for a low price, I think it was like $175 this year, um, it's some excellent quality content, whether it's OSINT uh, Curious, and we're sharing content and bringing the community into our webcasts, or whether it's a LinkedIn group that I just created with Sans um, called OSINT Community on LinkedIn, where people can come together, share ideas, ask for help, and and really just just explore the field. So so the my training class, uh, the SEC 487, SEC 487 class, the OSINT Summit, it's all meant for anybody to come in and even if you have no knowledge of OSINT, uh, if you can use a computer, um, the talks will reach you and the, the content will, will help you. Okay, great. Um, and you, yeah, you said, uh, you know, you mentioned obviously there's other events coming up. Uh, there's the layer eight conference you mentioned earlier. Any, any others that you're involved in or looking to yeah. attend? Yeah, actually, again, you know, as long as everything works out, uh, I've been, I don't know if I can say that. Oh, well, I'll say it. Um, I've been accepted <laughs> to speak at the Osmosis Conference in San Diego, California. Oh, great. Okay, fantastic. October. That's later in the year. Yeah, October, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Excellent. And is that, again, aimed at a more technical or cybersecurity audience, or is that more broad than that? I believe it's more broad. Uh, the way it's been described, and I, this will be my first year there. Uh, the way it's been described is there's a lot of people like private investigators, some law enforcement, uh, as well as just anybody that wants to come as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and just thinking about that sort of, again, the, the breadth of open source intelligence and, and where it's at at the moment and where it might be going next, you know, uh, what kind of challenges have you found in terms of the changes that may have taken place in the, you know, the information landscape over the last couple of years? And, and you know, uh, how do you how do you sort of view the, the current sort of state of the art when it comes to open source intelligence? The most important thing that I get across to my students or in the webcasts or whatever is the understanding of how things work so that when our favorite tool, our favorite technique fails, we can break down whatever the changes are and figure out how we can still achieve our OSINT goals. When uh, Facebook did their big changes last year and it totally threw everybody for a loop, there was a huge, you know, there's a core set of people that said, okay, this is what the new normal is. Let's go ahead and try to figure out what this is and how this works. 
that's what I try to show my students. So in, in our OSINT class, one of the things that, that, we that we talk about is using tools like CyberChef and using the web developer tools within the browsers to look at the data. We, we dive into JSON content. So, so that hopefully mm -hmm. the changes that happen in the future while they might shake some of uh, the the known techniques and and some of my students majority of the students will be like all right you know i'll be resilient here i i can get through this i and and they will continue be able to continue on with their mission so um yeah, we get we get temporary setbacks or maybe even permanent setbacks like with uh, the facebook content i i don't think we've gotten back all of the functionality that we had with the prior graph search i think there's a lot we still can't do mm -hmm. but you know, this is the new normal. Yeah, it's interesting. And and do, do you find that in some ways, some of that content now, it's not, it, you, we can't really consider it open source information anymore. And, and you know, that actually in some ways, the scope of what we're able to do, although you said, you know, you can, you can go right up to the limits of what's now possible. But do you find that we're perhaps in some ways losing some of the ability that we had before in terms of at least the availability of information? It depends. I really think it depends. There's uh, one of the first things uh, I talk to my classes about is what is open source intelligence in their perspective, and uh, the perspectives are really interesting within you know the classic military or or law enforcement. They have one view, whereas other people are like, yeah, I'll I'll create a user account on some random forum, and then I will go in there and start to to do um you know start to interact with people and other people in the class are like that's not OSINT that's that's social engineering or that's mm. uh, you know infiltration yeah. mm -hmm. so i think there's a the OSINT as a field is very gray and gradient depending on your perspective <laughs> it's an interesting way to put it yeah yeah well i, th I think i think it's certainly it, yeah i think we're certainly seeing things moving to a point where actually I wonder if at some point people will make a harder distinction or a harder definition for it. I know certainly, you know, in the UK, law enforcement agencies, government agencies use this kind of uh, five level system. And the sort of key distinction comes in made probably between level two and, and level three. And up to level two is where, you know, they're trying to still stay anonymous or covert in the, the research they're doing. So they're not giving away who they are and what they're doing. Um, and then at level three is at the, the point at which they can then create logins for platforms and things like that that um to access more information but you know i think in the in that sort of model of you know the, the, in that way of conceiving of open source information at some point what was previously considered open source or part of open source intelligence uh, as an activity at some point it moves into perhaps what is more online human intelligence yeah uh, once you start engaging and, and you know and, and i guess if you're that's if you're coming from that kind of government background whereas if you're coming more from an investigative journalism background that's probably just journalism yeah i guess yes. reaching out to contact speaking to them uh speaking to originators of information on social media you know uh so yeah i guess it totally depends on where you're coming from and and what restrictions you might have in place whether it's policy or, or legal based um but yeah the it, we we because we've sort of been discussing this topic a bit at Jane's over the last uh, 12 or 18 months or so and talking about how, especially with those uh, changes that, that came in from uh, some social media platforms last year, but even before that, we kind of wondered, you know, has the... Uh, would, has there been a golden age of open source in intelligence in a way with the sort of the bursting through of a lot of these social media platforms and the growth of online information for sort of 10 years or so, maybe, you know, sort of mid 2000s to, to, to sort of last year uh, or, or just before last year. And are we then, are we now seeing a bit of a constriction of information, not just in terms of what the platforms um, or, or, you know, social media in particular, what they're doing, but also in terms of, the general move towards greater data privacy, information privacy, whether that's through re regulation or changes in people's own behavior. Um, I don't know, is that, is that something you're also seeing as, a, as more of a, a challenge that, you know, when we are either losing tools or access to information, that's not the full picture. Some of it is actually people changing their behavior. It, it, has that affected, you know, your work at all? I think so. I think so. The The... I always talk about the infer inverse relationship between privacy and our ability to perform OSINT 
right? Because the the less private a person is, the more public information they have, the more information we can grab via OSINT techniques. Uh, the, as they increase or as the platforms they use increase their privacy, our ability to do, perform OSINT on them uh, directly drops dramatically sometimes, and we're forced to go ahead and look at their friends, their coworkers, if we're dealing with human targets. So, Absolutely, um, these types of, of changes and, and security does impact the work. However, if you look at the platforms that have started coming out, well, there's there's almost a, a security maturity model that that we're seeing. You know, you look at Facebook, like you said, we had a golden age there for many years, right? Where yeah. we could find these amazing, amazing intersections of people and doing things. And now that's kind of matured and we're seeing less of that. But I mean, you look at emerging platforms like TikTok and when they first came out, they're like, hey, use us. And if you looked at the at the information that was being shared back and forth, there was a huge amount of information that was not private at all that was shared with every TikTok that was posted. So I think it it really is similar to you know, just software development. You know, let's get the features out. Let's get people using our platform, and we'll worry about security and privacy on the back end. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I guess that's that's not going to slow down. I think we'll probably see more and more platforms popping up in, uh, you know, becoming popular at different times. So yeah, it'll be interesting to keep keep an eye on that. And I think that's one of the things that for OSINT practitioners. You know, we're, we're continually um, having to sort of stay on top of uh, what are those changes and what new tools and platforms are people using and where is the information, you know, where, where is their new information suddenly occur, uh, cropping up and, you know, when where is the, um, the information landscape expanding into, even if it's constricting in, in certain other places. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you made there, actually. You know, so I think sometimes it is easy to focus on where we're losing information and not think about where we might actually be starting to get more information in other places. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always going to be opportunities. We might have to, uh, I look at it as kind of a cat and mouse game where uh, as Facebook tightens up their privacy pot and their privacy, or as users on the Facebook platform, tighten up their privacy, just using Facebook as an example, of course, um, it challenges us to work harder to still gain access to the data that we need to legally and mm. and ethically. Uh, but uh, it's always going to be a a, uh, a race to figure out who can secure versus discover information um, to help us uh, achieve our goals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you see any other sort of future developments or any trends occurring right now that you think people working in open source intelligence should be tracking or be aware of? Well, the dark web was really, really interesting for a little while. But I think, you know, what we talked about earlier is really coming to bear where people are realizing that a lot of the the marketplaces, the groups, the forums that were on the dark web are moving to the surface web. So understanding Mm. how to... I think social media is going to continue to provide us a huge amount of information overall in social media, everything from telegram groups to um, as we are just seeing uh, if people don't have Twitter accounts, if OSINT investigators don't have Twitter accounts for just watching what's happening in the world, I highly suggest that people get them just to follow the hashtag OSINT uh, because I've been just watching that over the past couple of weeks and seeing that some of the screen share, the screen snapshotting apps that people use are publishing the snapshots that people are taking on their systems publicly. So you can essentially Google some of these snapshots. So there's always going to be opportunities. Now, whether those opportunities... That sounds a little crazy. I mean, that's... It does. Yeah. Wow. And and I mean, it's it's all over Twitter. And the question... And so the question becomes, Terry, is, is do those opportunities to find things using these new techniques like screenshots... Does that intersect with what my target is doing? You know, is is the person I'm tracking taking screenshots using that platform? And these are the kind of things that 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 we're going to constantly be going through in the coming months and years. But if I had to look in my crystal ball, I think what we're going to see in the OSINT world, and I'm hoping to be kind of a, a instigator of this, is coming together on core things like methodology, like other things like process, 
we're never going to all agree together on on a single process for doing OSINT because we have so many different drivers that that challenge us to to grab this OSINT data. Yet we still can come up with some kind of overall community-driven process. And I think that that's going to be uh, one of the big focuses of 2020 for, for me and some of my friends. So keep your, keep looking out for it. That is a very intriguing idea. I, I really like that idea. And that's, that's, um, that's a great point in terms of, you know, I often find that when, when I'm working with people or, tra- or training them or coaching them in how to do open source intelligence, you know, their focus is overly um, sort of, I guess, zoned in on um, the information sources themselves, you know, just mm-hmm. a, a particular set of sources, or it's about the tools and it, their focus yeah. is on the tools. And and I, I kind of try and get them to take a step back from that sometimes and say, okay, well, let's actually think about the process and the methodology you're using to actually go about achieving your objective. You know, what is what is the objective of your research here or your investigation, whatever it might be? And I think sometimes that people lose sight of that and or, or they, they think, okay, doing that is actually a little bit too basic. Um, and especially when they get given a question or a requirement on a topic they know they know really well they'll just and, and i guess it's human nature i probably still do it to some extent i'm sure others do it you just sort of dive straight into the researching and, and trying to gather the information without actually thinking about how you're using it and or how you're putting it all together and i think that's um that's definitely an area where actually you, you find if you get people to be more structured in the way they do it they will achieve the biggest gains in terms of efficiency um, rather than focusing on learning about where there might be more resources out there or different tools and things like that. So um, I'm I'm definitely, yeah, I'm definitely in, intrigued by that idea. And I think it'll be interesting to hear more about that and see how you guys progress on that this, this year. Well, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that there is a huge focus on tools and on uh, websites instead of the actual techniques. Um, I did a talk at DEFCON's Recon Village two years ago on all of the different problems that we have within, within well, some of the different problems that we did in the OSINT world. And one of them was I went through all of the links in technizette.com and osintframework.com and osintframework.de and and all these different sites and essentially showed that, hey, you know, there are hundreds or like in the iIntelligence PDF resource, there's thousands and thousands of URLs that we push out and we get people to think, hey, these are the places you need to look. The challenge is, is none of them are qualified. None of them are quantified. We don't know what they're good at, what they're not good at, if they're paid, if they're their trials. Um, and so I think what we're going to come together on, or I'm hoping what the community starts coming together on is those core resources that we can decide these are solid ones, and this mm-hmm. is a solid process that uses those resources or whatever resources are important to us. Um, I'll, I'll just finish with one last thing. In the, uh, mm, I, I, cre- I created a, a website um, called Yoga, Y-O-G-A, dot OSINT dot Ninja. And what Yoga OSINT Ninja does is it doesn't tell you specific resources of what to do or what to use, but it does show you, hey, if I have this type of information, like an email address, and then you click on the email address little icon, and it shows you you can do a who is search or social media search. So it gives you that, that next kind of process step. And I think that in the coming year, I'd like to really bolster that out, not necessarily on yoga, but in other methods, uh, in other ways of saying, hey, if you have this, try these different things to further your investigations. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I mean, I think I think there's there's a whole other podcast episode to be had in just unpicking. Well, a in unpicking that 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 URL name yoga.osin.ninja, <laughs> which just sounds fantastic. Um, but also, yeah, just in focusing on you know the the that what you just described there in terms of the processes um, that people are using. So yeah, no, I, I look forward to hearing more about uh, how you progress that and um, you know getting inputs from others and and seeing how that develops. 
Cool. Well, yeah, I, it'll all be on Twitter and on OSINT Curious. <laughs> I, I have to say, I do. Yeah, I, I do find that the hardest challenge in OSINT is keeping up with the other OSINT practitioners <laughs> and actually <laughs> actually getting the benefit of all of the, the knowledge and, and expertise that are being shared, especially on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's a job in itself. It, it is. And, and man, I suffer from something called imposter syndrome where I just I, I highlight the deficiencies in, in what I don't know or the uh, the gaps in what I don't know. And so when Nick's Intel or MW OSINT or Sector 035s, you know, publishes something I'm like, oh, man, that is amazing how he did that. I should know that. Why don't I know that? And then I, <laughs> I divert my learning from what I'm supposed to be doing to that. So, um, but yeah, there's so much great information being shared nowadays. Uh, I, I think that this is the golden age of OSINT as far as community and information sharing, maybe not necessarily as far as Im information retrieval from certain social media platforms though. That's, yeah, that's a really good point as well. And I think, um, that, you know, for us at Jane's, I mean, that's one of the things, we, you know, we really wanted to do with this podcast was just connect with other practitioners and get some ideas and thoughts from people outside of our sort of relatively narrow field in terms of looking at defense and uh, the government space. For a lot of them, they've maybe had that more traditional mindset around OSINT in the past, but how can we adapt if we broaden that out and how does that change how we practice open source intelligence? So, yeah, the, the, this, as you said, golden age of sharing ideas amongst OSINT practitioners, I think is really beneficial for everybody. So, yeah, long may that continue. Yeah. And I don't know if the, this rings true with you as well, but what I'm finding is the word OSINT is not something that a lot of people know. They do mm. OSINT work, um, like recruiters and sourcers. I, I tell a story to some of my, my colleagues and students that you know I spoke to a recruiter that was trying to find people to fill job requisitions. And I said, how do you find people? And she said, you can't tell anybody this, but I use Boolean searches. Like, well, what's a Boolean <laughs> search? And she said, you go to Google and you type in penetration tester or incident responder. I'm like, we've been doing that advanced Google dorking since 2001. She said, no, 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 it's not Google dorking. I was like, well, it's OSINT. No, 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 it's Boolean searches. So I think <laughs> getting the word out about what OSINT is or understanding what OSINT is within different areas is going to help broaden our overall capability. Yeah, I love that. That's a great story. Yeah, this has been great talking to you, Micah. I'd, I'd love to continue the conversation at another time. And hopefully, maybe you know, once we are post-coronavirus, maybe we'll meet up at a conference or something in the future. But in, in the meantime, I look forward to continuing to you know benefit from all of the knowledge you're sharing at OSINT Curious. If there's anything we can assist with at Jane's, then do do get in touch. And um, I'll hopefully be perhaps in contact with some of the other Avengers of OSINT at OSINT <laughs> Curious um, <laughs> to, to sort of get them onto some future episodes as well. Because I know they all bring their own individual experience and, and skills and background to the field. So yeah, I'd love to talk to the rest of the group at some point too. But yeah, thanks for joining us. It's been a, been a real pleasure. This has been terrific, Terry. I, I'd love to come back on it again, you know, like post-virus or whatever, or, or in the future. Um, had a great time with you. Thanks for joining. And uh, for everyone listening, do check out our other podcast episodes and get in touch and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature on the Jane's Osim podcast. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or on your preferred podcast listening platform. And for more information on how we can help with OSINT training and development, go to janes.com forward slash training.